I, before Christmas, got my hands on my first uh, box of Hodmedod's Great British Beans, and uh, uh, fantastic they are too. I wonder if, if you could just tell me a little bit about um, where, they, where they've come from, or what's, what's going on, what, what are you up to? Yeah, um, I suppose the simple answer is they, 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 they come from somewhere in the Fertile Crescent 10,000 years ago, uh, the dawn of agriculture. And they're the sort of the first bean and the only bean really that we had in, in Europe until the um, Middle Ages, uh, when we discovered a whole new group of beans uh, on the other side of the world in the Americas. But as far as we're concerned, um, it all started two or three years ago with some work that East Anglia Foodlink began doing with Transition City Norwich, looking at what would make a more resilient diet, what would be a, a diet better suited to our climate and uh, reducing our dependency on imported um, protein crops and reducing the meat content. And one of the things that became really clear was that we needed to eat more beans and peas, not only because they're a good substitute for meat, but also because they're important in agricultural rotations. They fix nitrogen, they're a good break crop from cereal growing. And we thought that we, we were going to have a, a really big task on our hands, um, encouraging farmers to grow more beans and peas. And we went out and we began talking to farmers in and around Norwich and Norfolk. And we discovered that they're, in fact, growing loads of beans and peas. Um, and that which wasn't being fed to animals was being exported, um, mainly to North Africa, the Middle East, but some of it also into India. Um, and there simply wasn't any demand or market for British-grown beans uh, in Britain. And I think that's mainly because the type of beans being grown were, were fava beans, um, broad beans. We'd be more familiar with them as. And um, broad beans traditionally are seen as a fresh product rather than a dry product. But that, that eating of them as fresh only really began... Um, in the Middle Ages, when we stopped eating them dried. So these are, to all intents and purposes, dried broad beans? They are a small variety of dried broad bean. Yeah, that's, that's all they are. And would people have encountered them in any other... Uh, um, I mean, apart from broad beans that we're familiar with, is there any other way that people listening to this might have encountered such beans in their daily culinary adventures? It's extremely unlikely. I mean, I think sometimes they're used as a bulking agent in ready meals, you know, as a cheap protein in the same way that soya is. But I don't think very much of that happens. So, so what can you do with them? Well, you can do almost anything you might choose to do with, um, with an ordinary bean. So you, at the moment, we have them dried and you'd soak them. You can put them in chilies and curries. You can, um, you can turn them into baked beans if you want to. But we do have an extra sort of slightly different thing which happens, which the beans are decorticated, which means the, the sort of outer skin of the bean is removed so that you've just got the two um, the, the sort of the two halves. And it looks a bit like a very big lentil or, or a split pea. Uh, and that's quite flexible. You don't need to soak it overnight, uh, which makes it slightly quicker. So you can cook that into dals. You can make falafels. Uh, you can make a kind of a, an equivalent to hummus. Um, which they eat a lot in North Africa, particularly in Morocco, where it's called basara, and it's served either as a dip or a paste, uh, and sometimes it's used as a base for a soup. Um, so you, you can do quite a lot with them. I mean, in Egypt, the, the whole beans, the whole dried beans, are 
used to make something called uh, former damas, which is essentially it's a bean stew, which they have for breakfast. And they also have it to break fast during Ramadan. And they eat huge quantities of these beans. And in fact, a large quantity of the beans that we grow for export are sent to Egypt by, you know, in, in container shiploads. So um, the, the box of beans that you sent to me is beautifully packaged and has a little recipe book in there and it's obviously something that would uh you've there's obviously been a lot of care and, and attention and thinking gone into making it something that will really look really nice on the shelf and in people's kitchens and so on are you to what extent are you seeing this as as uh as a food crop of the future and and what are your commercial plans for them yeah i think um i think increasingly there's a there's a there's an awareness a broader awareness that um we're we're gonna we're gonna have to change our diet in some way over the next thirty or forty years. Um, there are pressures from population growth, um, pressures on land, um, but beans are going to play a part in that uh, as a very low tech solution to dietary change. There's a lot of talk about you know lab grown meat, and in fact there are some articles in the papers over the weekend about all of these kind of future foods. But in fact we've got a lot of low tech solutions um, to to the problems like that, and and bean protein which is very tasty and extremely good for you uh, is, is one of those and so yeah we we see it as a big part of that but the big big issue really is that culturally we just we're just out of a habit of eating beans full stop but particularly of eating fava beans so we felt it was really important to make them look as attractive as possible to encourage people to get them home into their kitchens and want to have a go at, at using them and yeah we'd, we'd love it to be a kind of a commercial, we'd, we'd, we'd like to see it working, working for local farmers. And um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's early days as yet, but the response that we've had has been extremely positive. Uh, um, and what kind of infrastructure have you needed to put in place to be able to uh, deal with the beans? So, so as they come off the field, what, what needs to happen to them in between them ending up in your beautiful boxes? Yeah, it's um, it, all the infrastructure is there to deal with the beans, but it's there to deal with the beans for export. So all we've done really is dip into that process. So at the moment, the farmer will grow the beans. Um, they'll be combined, just just like wheat is, um, and then they're sent up to uh, various sort of grain merchants or factors who who deal with the grain, and then it's cleaned. It goes through various screens, um, and then any sort of stones and debris are removed from it. Um, and essentially, it's then bagged up. The problem we've had is that because it's exported in really, really big quantities, the smallest size that most of these grain dealers can handle is 100 tonnes at a time, um, which, is, which is massive. It's a lot of beans. Um, so at the moment, we are working out of those big silos. But from this autumn, uh, we're hoping to engage more directly with, with farmers and with smaller scale uh, processes who will allow us who will, which will allow us to clean in sort of 10 ton batches and that will also mean that we can um, source organic beans which at the moment we're not able to do um, because we can't buy 100 tons of organic beans <laughs> and so um uh, how are you planning to to distribute these i mean the how the box that I got, was that just of a small test batch or are, are these going to be appearing in, in shops on the high street near near listeners sometime soon? Yeah, uh, I hope so. Um, at the moment, we're very much in the kind of a, a sort of a launch phase. Um, so we're sending 
themes out to people like you who we who we think would be interested and who we would like to thank for sort of being interested and supporting the work over the last couple of years we're sending them out to restaurants to to have a go with and um, we're also sending them out to wholesalers people like suma um, and infinity you know the, the sort of traditional whole food wholesalers who we think will be very interested uh, and we're talking directly to, mainly this is in East Anglia at the moment, we're talking directly to independent retailers. And we're working with a, a distribution company who can who can dispatch them to, to almost anywhere. So we're selling them online and people can order them directly and have them delivered to their home um, in fairly small batches. Fantastic. And... Uh, um... So I, th- I, th- I, I, cooked a, I cooked some falafels with them and I cooked a dal with them and they were absolutely delicious, actually very, very easy to cook. And, uh, um, and, went down, and my kids didn't notice the difference, which is always a bit of a winner. Um, the, the dal was, um, uh, I think I didn't maybe soak them long enough for the dal, but it was some slightly methane generating. Uh, but I think that's the case with all kind of beans and pulses, really. Uh, but they were fantastic. And so you you, you mentioned uh, um, a story about something about NASA and flatulence or something when we... That's right, yeah. During the 70s, NASA had a, a dedicated <coughs> researcher whose who's, who's particular job was uh, was looking at the diet of um, astronauts and, and wind. And uh, he's, he's, their big concern was that... Um, the gases that are produced in space are extremely flammable and potentially very dangerous. Um, uh, so they were looking at diets which reduced um, reduced astronauts' propensity to fart, basically. Um, and he did he did a lot of work on this, and he 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 identified that there was a percentage of the population who you just don't generate flammable gas. And, and his big argument was that NASA should be specifically screening and recruiting astronauts based on their propensity to fart. <laughs> he didn't recommend them a diet of fava beans. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about beans is actually they don't actually make you fart that much more. It, it, we have an expectation around uh, wind and pulses. Um, but once you've, if you have a, the thing that really makes you break wind is eating too much protein. Um, and if you if you have a sort of a, a pulse rich diet and you're used to it and your stomach fauna is used to it, actually there's no real difference. It should be absolutely fine. Um, so blazing saddles has a lot to answer for. It, I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> so in the context of, of of transition Norwich and East Anglia Foodlink and uh, the very sort of um, concrete steps towards a more local food resilience, which you've been working on for a number of years. How 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 important is this, and how how replicable might this be in other places? And what 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 learnings from more generally for for, for transition can you pull out of um, out of your bean experience so far? Yeah, um, it's a good question because I think the thing that 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 really the thing that really came out of this was exploring an idea and how when you have an idea and you and you begin to sort of pick it apart and find out who locally knows what you discover all sorts of things and and one of the things that i think was most important that we discovered was that there was assumption that no one would want to eat the beans and no one had bothered asking anyone whether they wanted to eat the beans so so until we bought a ton of beans much to the hilarity of the local bean merchant who just thought this was the the craziest idea he'd heard and we put them into small bags with a return postcard um, and we asked people just to you know have a go with them see what they thought 
and we had a very good response through that. And and people may have seen those who who were at the Transition Network conference this year, last year. There were bags of beans for people to take. That's right. And I think so. I think one of the things is it, you may feel a bit crazy sometimes when you phone people up with your, your crazy idea. But that's no reason to stop doing it. Um, sometimes it's worth pursuing these things. And I think in the in the sort of in the context of Transition Norwich and East Anglia Food Link. Um, it, it is it is a very small project. There's, you know, there's no doubt about it, but um, it has generated a lot of interest outside of the beans themselves. You know, people who people who heard the story have been very enthused by it. I've spoken to transition groups about the beans in in other East Anglian towns, and um, I went to I went to Stowmarket, I think it was, and I was on a panel with Timio and a few other people, and I was there to do the food thing. And uh, I talked about the beans. I got a, 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 a standing ovation, which was amazing. <laughs> so different, and people were very interested. And as always with food, people can really kind of understand it because it's happening in their own kitchen, um, whereas energy or you know um, resource crisis is perhaps sometimes slightly harder to engage with. Mm. And is your? I mean, presumably there's a there's kind of business plans for this as a as an enterprise. Is it something that? That, that, that you feel could be a viable up and running uh, yeah, enterprise? Yeah, we've, so we've, we've created a new business. It's no longer part of East Anglia Food Link. And um, it's called Hodmadods, which is what you saw on the box. And Hodmadods is a local dialect word in Norfolk and Suffolk. And it means hedgehog or snail. Um, but, but like the bean, the kind of, you know, the dialect is being forgotten as well. And so we like the idea of reviving a word that's that's not being used much either. Um, and, yeah, so it is a small enterprise. And we will be not only promoting the beans, but we're also interested in looking at actually other things that are produced in the UK and that have been sort of largely overlooked or, or forgotten. So there are other peas. There's, there's Carlin peas, which people who live in the north will be familiar with on bonfire night and on Preston Market where they're still served but again they're largely forgotten. We export another type of pea called a cappuccino pea which is very popular in with the Dutch but again it was developed in the 17th century by the uh, by the Dutch but initially by the Capuchin monks um, which we don't oh. eat. I thought, I thought it might be because it's a bean that you know sort of makes fantastic cappuccinos it might free us from importing coffee beans but that's different different derivation. It's, it's cappuccino coloured, which a cappuccino is called a cappuccino. Oh, okay. Same colour as the monk's robes. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, um, and there are other things. You know, there's the the bear meal and things that's that's processed in in Shetland and Orkney and in the Highlands, barley flour essentially, which would have been a really important part of diet in the southwest as well, where you are, uh, where it's a bit damp for wheat, um, and all the barley breads and things kind of disappeared with the railways as grain was exchanged more widely hmm. it's it's uh, it would seem to me like you know with the whole kind of resurgence of regional foods and and uh, exploration of different sort of diets and shit, you know the whole kind of cooking culture becoming very appreciating innovation and quality foods actually it could be just the right time for a, a revival of these sort of beans that we've largely forgotten about yeah i th i think so and i mean it, it does raise a lot of difficult questions. Um, obviously, we're we're growing beans that are exported, and they're exported to countries that want and need them. Um, 
there's, there's potential to grow a lot more um, in the UK and as a break crop, as a crop that comes between cereals in an arable rotation, uh, beans have increasingly been replaced with things like oilseed rape. Um, and that's happened, I think, not in, in no small part because the, the nitrogen fixing qualities of the beans aren't really that important while we've got lots of free synthetic fertilisers. But if that is going to change and farming systems need to change, then again, there's another driver for growing legumes more widely. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So, any, any last thoughts about um, uh, Hodmidot? I, I love the fact that actually that, that there was a time when the word for snail and the word for hedgehog was the same word. It must have been rather confusing. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, know quite what it means. It means scarecrow. So <laughs> <laughs> get the plot thickened. Yeah, it does. No idea um, why that is, but fantastic. Well, I, I, you know, <clears throat> fingers crossed. I think it's fantastic, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll be something that, um, you know, that this going out might help to drive people towards it as well. You know. Yeah, and I think there are probably, I mean, it's not just pulses. There are probably all sorts of, there are all sorts of foods that we are well placed to grow in this country that we don't grow and we don't eat for all sorts of cultural reasons. And the reasons that we don't eat these beans is largely cultural. It's got nothing to do with you know, taste or diet or anything like that, simply that we fell out of the habit. Uh, and I think we should look really hard at what the other opportunities are, what, what there are other crops that we, that we don't grow, that we could be growing, mm -hmm. a diverse kind of agriculture um, and, a, and, a, and a broader diet.